I'm Bill Hoverston, an actor, writer, producer, stand-up comedian, and the host of But You're Not Funny, a podcast for young-at-heart boomers and boomers-to-be looking to live happier and healthier lives. Welcome to But You're Not Funny. I'm Bill Hoverston, and my guest today is Paul David Walker. Paul, uh, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, sure. You know, I've known you for a few years now as a member of the Mastery Circle, and I know you as a deep thinker, spiritual, uh, creative. You have this unique ability to express yourself in the written word and also to have a great impact when you speak your words as well. Now, your company, Genius Stone Partners, uh, works with CEOs at mid-level and Fortune 500 companies. Yes, I help them up their game as leaders, and I help them grow their business and bring their team Hmm. together to achieve the mission of the company. So as a consultant, you're quite successful in this high-end niche. Yes, I've been doing it for 35 years, so. Wow. Well, that in itself, that's an accomplishment, so. Yeah, making a living. (laughs) (laughs) Nowadays, yeah. You're able to blend your business success with, of all things, poetry. Yes. So I want to get into that with you today, Paul. All right. And yeah, I'll see if there's something that you can share that, that will benefit our audience. Can you say in a word or in a sentence what a poem is? It's capturing a moment in time. Wow, that's beautiful. I didn't think that was possible, but you showed that it is. So that's something that other people could experience too, a moment in time and then express it through a poem. Yeah. There are different types of poetry, classic poems in different forms and formats. There are several books in the Bible that uh, are basically poetry. Uh, Psalms, Song of Solomon, Proverbs, Job, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations. These are mainly books of poetry. And then there are poems that come from other parts of the world that have uh, everything from like Zen poetry, haikus. Um, You've got Shakespeare wrote so many poems. Of course, we know him as writing plays, but sonnets. Sonnets. Yeah. And then we've got fun poetry, like limericks, (laughs) you know? There was an old man from Nantucket, right? (laughs) Tell it, tell it, Paul. From Nantucket who carried his things in a bucket, you know, something. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And when he was done, then he had to run. I don't know if that's right, but it fits. (laughs) (laughs) We might be more familiar, some of us, with some American poets. Back in the 50s, there were the beat poets. Oh, yes. Allen Ginsberg and Lawrence Ferlinghetti. Ferlinghetti, yes. Mm -hmm. Jack Kerouac was in that crowd, for sure. We have, uh, well, there's James Baldwin, and Mm -hmm. more recently, Maya Angelou. And they've been honored, actually, by appearing on stamps in our country. 
Yeah. And other countries honor their poets in different ways, erecting statues, uh, all kinds of things. Václav Havel, who became a president of Czechoslovakia. Here's a guy that came from a poetry background, for example. Then you oh, have yeah. the, these warrior poets from hundreds of years ago in um, India, in Russia, uh, in you know, other parts of the world. So if somebody's interested in, in poetry, it doesn't have to fit a certain cadence or rhythm. It doesn't have to rhyme. It can be okay. just lines that are written out that express what their emotions are, what their feelings are. Mm -hmm. I once co-led a poetry writing and performing group that met at a coffee house in West Hollywood. How appropriate. <laughs> it was fun. It was yeah. really fun. All kinds of experiences that came out of that. I know that poetry can be therapeutic too. Thomas Hedberg, you know, once invited me to an event at USC. It was a conference on poetry therapy. Bonnie mm -hmm. does poetry therapy. She's in a poetry therapy group. That's mm -hmm. great. And that can be so helpful, difficult, challenging, or even happy emotions if you leave them inside without expressing them, they can really hurt your spirit. So yes. getting them out by either expressing them to somebody or even journaling, writing poetry to yourself can be helpful. Very helpful. There's another point too of poetry. It helps you get out of your head, your left brain mm -hmm. and into your right brain, which is creativity. I wanted to mention also some of the poets in the world throughout the years. Mm -hmm. Khalil Gibran, yes. uh, Rumi. Yes, very good. Famous poets. In our country, we have uh, Walt Whitman. Walt Whitman, in his day, was considered X-rated, I believe. Yes, he was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wrote about... Uh, Things that we would consider very mundane today, but back then, scandalous. Oh, yeah. Beautiful lyrical poems. Yeah. But William Butler Yeats, Lord Byron, Shelley, Milton. Uh-huh. These are my favorites. So. British poets. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Emily Dickinson. Yes. We have World Poetry Day coming up. It's March 21st, so I guess if you appreciate a poet, show it. When we think of poetry today in media, especially film, we think of movies such as Dead Poets Society. Uh, you know, Paul, that uh, Robin Williams had his students stand on their desks, and I assume that isn't the case with CEOs that you work with. <laughs> no, no. Not required, okay. No, not well, at all. There's, there's Braveheart with Mel Gibson, we may remember, where he was a warrior poet. Now, Paul, I imagine that, that uh, when you achieve success in business, you're not uh, wearing a, a kilt or uh, wielding a sword. So if we think, though, of uh, competitiveness in business today, mm -hmm. uh, it is kind of a war or, or a struggle. 
So maybe you could be thought of perhaps as a modern day warrior poet. So Paul, I'd love to hear some of the, the nitty gritty about uh, what you tell these business leaders. Okay. So, you know, we can benefit too and really up our game. You have this fascinating background. You were born in England, but poetry got you out of England. It rains a lot, you know, and everything's green all the time, all year round. When I watch a movie from England that's out in the country, I tear up, literally. Uh, I miss it so much. That's wonderful. Yeah. Sheffield, England, uh, after the war, my mom and dad moved in to live with my grandfather, who was a lock keeper. Now, the canals in England, before the rails became a big deal, moved right. all the heavy stuff around. And, and so I would come out and watch these canal boats come and and then it'd fill it up with water, right? Mm. And then it'd open the gate and off it would go. Yeah. And to me, that was, that was magic. My father moved here and sat for my mom and I. So, so we got on the Queen Mary and headed for New York. So. The Queen Mary, yes. You didn't happen to see any ghosts on the Queen Mary, did you? One of my clients was the CEO of the Queen Mary for a couple of years. So we did oh, go down to the haunted section, but we'll see. <laughs> I didn't see any ghosts. Down in Long Beach for yeah. anybody that uh, is curious. Yeah. What I was alluding to kind of mysteriously that poetry got you out of England, your dad had listened to this song on the radio. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to be in Michigan picking apples on the farm. I think that was the <laughs> lyric. <laughs> And, and you know, a song, a song is, is just poetry that's oh, set to music. I mean, I don't care whether it's rap or whatever, what kind of music, it's poetry set to music. So that was, that was the starting point for your dad to actually come over here, buy a farm. Yeah, he was an engineer in World War II. He worked on the Wellington bombers, repairing them when they came back from bombing runs. Hmm. So, uh, Farms are not very profitable, so he had to work too. And so did my mother, and so did I. Oh, yes. You grew up on a, a 500 tree apple orchard in Michigan there. Three and a half acres of grapes and 10 acres of vegetables, stuff like that. Drama major in college, minor. or minor. Lit major, drama minor. Oh, okay. English literature was my major. Yeah. English literature. And there, you had an experience that made you decide to become a poet. Dylan Thomas came to speak. And uh, I was just so inspired by the way he spoke, the way he read his work. And of course, he's from Wales, which is, you know, he's a Celt as well. Mm. I went, that's it. You know, I'm, I'm going to write poetry. Well, now, also, you said that you were the editor of the... Uh, called the Driftwood uh, Magazine, and it had poetry, art, you know, photography, and prose. I, in uh, high school, I went to a very uh, liberal high school my uh, junior, senior year. I did some writing for this poetry magazine. Oh, cool. And... What was tough was that I came from a very conservative political background. So here was all this uh, liberal thought around me. <laughs> so 
wouldn't you know, the poems that I wrote while everybody else was writing anti-war, you know, anti-war poems, yeah. I wrote anti-anti-war poems. <laughs> but you can say anything in poetry, be it political, be it spiritual, emotional, uh, whatever it might be. It's, it's a great channel for so much thought uh, and emotion. Absolutely. And you know what I say in the introduction to all my poetry books is don't try to interpret, just experience. Experience the imagery, experience your feelings. Hmm. So you're conveying the feeling to the person who's reading it, what yeah. you're feeling. When you uh, came to LA, I believe it was, you took a course with an organization called LifeSpring. Yes, I did. I took Life Spring also, Paul. Oh, good. I great. took the first class or level, but uh, that was a great experience for me also as an introduction to mm. a way of connecting with feelings, of, with my own feelings, mm. for one thing. That was, that was one of the benefits that I got from it, a way of interacting in the world. I got a lot of benefits. Would you de describe in a word a couple of other things that, that you got from it? I met my wife there and <laughs> in, in a group where we all told our life story. Great. I went to one in LA. Uh, that was the first one. And I loved it. I decided that we were going to have one in Orange County. Okay. And they were not that interested in it. So I enrolled 67 people in that course personally. Woo! And one of the ways I did it is they have these big gatherings, you know, hundreds of people, you know, pumping them up. And I would sit outside the gathering dressed like Gandhi and I washed people's feet who, who wanted me to wash their feet and I talked to them about mastery in the course. Well, that's, I didn't shave my head. But otherwise, I was dressed like Gandhi sitting cross-legged in a bowl of warm water and a oh chair. So. <laughs> what a sight. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it worked. <laughs> and they came in. They get it. I got to find out what this is all about. Yeah. If, if it motivates some guy to act like Gandhi, what can it do for me? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that, that's terrific. Paul, could you say a word about your family? Yes. Well, Barney is a poet and a writer. We both are. I have uh, a son who's uh, 42. And Bonnie has a son who's 43. They're both entrepreneurs. Okay. My son's an actor, but he's selling gold right now. It's a little slow in the acting business. So. How is it in the gold business? It's great. <laughs> the market's moving and people want to buy. He sold $58,000 worth of gold last week. Woo! Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's that big hole in your backyard there, that mine that you're, <laughs> that you're creating. <laughs> Okay. You said recently something about intention. Yes. And you talked about your experience. Mm. Well, it's the wisdom and the feeling that comes out of it that is most important. The, as you learn to express yourself in, uh -huh. a deep, in a deep way as a poet, you know, that also applies when you're a leader. One of your early clients with New York life? Well, first of all, Don Ross, who was the CEO, was a very spiritual leader. 
you wouldn't think the CEO of a multi-billion dollar company has a lot of doubts and fears, yeah. but they do, they do. And so when I do these interviews, the first thing I tell them is what people appreciate about them and they just light up. Then I go how you could be even more effective. Mm. Not what you're doing wrong, mm. how you could be even more effective because that's quicker. Right. You know, I'm not a psychologist, but that makes sense. Your client, Don Ross, New York Life, had this intuition oh, along yeah. about 1987. He ordered the investment department to move all of New York Life's investments. We're talking billions of dollars now. Not all at once, but gradually take them out of the stock market and put them into solid investments, treasury bonds, mm. not high yield bonds, which later became junk bonds. And his staff was outraged. Everyone in New York was going, Don Ross has lost it. This is crazy. Mm. He's you know pulling out of the market. He doesn't know what he's doing, but Don, knew because afterwards he was a big hero right don ross wow <laughs> i said don how did you know hmm. how did you know and he said well paul you need to know the difference between your intuition and your egos fears and hopes i know the difference and when i get this intuitive feeling about something and it's genuine I trust it and I act on it. Yeah, wow. That's a brilliant example of how he was able to uh, achieve success in an unexpected way there. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. great. So I wanted to talk about the most celebrated poet of the moment right now, Amanda Gorman. Oh yes, yeah, I watched her. That was really something. The inauguration, yeah. the Super Bowl. Yeah. Come on, a poet as entertainment at the Super Bowl. That, that's <laughs> even bigger than the inauguration, actually. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? Yeah. It yeah. You know, who would have thought? Mm -hmm. And but I think it may have something to do with who she is. Now, when I went to Bexley High School in Ohio during my wow. junior and senior years, Paul, I was shy and I was super nerdy. I started a chess club. As I told you, I contributed poetry to the um, literary magazine, sort of a nerdy kind of <laughs> activity, much more so than sports. I... However, I think there are some things, it's like when an attractive young woman does them successfully in the spotlight, suddenly these nerdy activities become hotter than hot <laughs> for okay. example the queen's gambit you uh, know yeah. that the queen's gambit oh, wow suddenly chess is big <laughs> i got this attractive young girl that's playing chess amanda gorman okay poetry all right yeah, hot right now you got an attractive young girl and suddenly it's it's so i was thinking if i was back in high school now chess and poetry I'd be a superstar. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, I'd like to get some ideas that
that our audience can use mm. about some of the suggestions and ideas that you give to CEOs so we can benefit too. And I'd also like to ask you to maybe read so we can get some flavor for the kind of work that you do uh, on the written page. We're going to do that. Let me just ask you to think about some suggestions that you might give a CEO. Going to take a short break and we'll be right back. This is But You're Not Funny. If you're watching on YouTube, please like and subscribe. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, visit our website, butyourenotfunny.com. And we're back. My guest today is Paul David Walker, and he is sharing with us some of the amazing things about poetry, of all things, and mm -hmm. how you can actually benefit. So some tips, suggestions that you've shared with CEOs. Can you help us too? Yeah, sure. So one of the main things I share with them is we can only create what we can conceive. Mm. So one of the things I teach, not only the CEO, but people who lead significant portions of the organization is how to paint a compelling picture of the future you're trying to create. And okay. that, would be the, that would be the mission statement. Uh -huh. right? Give us an example. I'll give you a short one. Yeah. BMW has the best mission statement. Yeah, I had one of those once. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the electrical and brake systems were not the best, but uh, okay. aside from that, it cornered very well. It had great pickup and... <laughs> uh -huh. Well, that's their vision statement, the ultimate driving machine. Yes. One of the things I do with my clients, I get the whole team together and we work on, you know, what is the mission here for this next phase of the company? Right. Because if you can't conceive it, it's not going to happen. If yeah. your clients can't conceive it, they're not going to buy, right? right? So let's work on this. Let's make it compelling, practical. But that also applies personally. There we go. Yeah. So somebody that's that's listening to this podcast, give us an example, sort of a, a general example of how they could use the right. mission statement process in, in their own lives. Like for me, the first thing in my mission is kindness. I have deep compassion, cry easily, because I know that everyone is doing the best they know how, given their life circumstances. You know, not the best they can, the best they know how in that moment. The next day they might go, jeez, oh, why did I say that, right? Uh, the second thing for me yep. is, is pattern recognition. Okay. I have a really high level of pattern recognition. I can see when this is happening, that's going to happen. Kind of like Don Ross. You know, you can see that. I, I share that gift. You're forecasting based on events that have happened. You're kind of drawing a line uh, to project out toward where they're going to go. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Kindness and then pattern recognition. Right. And then what's your third? I use those two to inspire people to exceed their own expectations. I don't do it for them. I inspire them to go beyond their own beliefs and assumptions about what they can do. Because I see it in, in their life story. Okay. And so my job 
as a leadership consultant or uh -huh. writer consultant, whatever, is to inspire people to be their best, to bring that out. Yeah. So what, what I do with them is I have them tell me their life story, highs and lows. Go ahead. So the big highs and lows throughout their life, maybe 20 things or something like that. Yeah, whatever. Okay. okay, so then what? Now you've got these. So out of their highs yep. comes their personal mission, right? So you want to repeat that because there's a pattern when you succeed. And every time I've done this and they tell me, you know, maybe 10 success stories, there are usually three elements that led to their success. And they're always the same. I can see if someone, even personally, if, if they're always angry, I can see that's how that's going to turn out in their life. Uh -huh. if, if, if they're always sad or, uh, you know, disempower themselves, I can see how that's going to turn out too. Right. And in business, I can see, you know, if A and B are happening, C is going to happen eventually and so on. So pattern recognition, my job is to inspire people to be their best, to bring that out. But it's also my job to help them figure out what that is. Let people learn from their own experience of success and their own experience of failure. Hmm. And that's, you know, that's what I do. That's my consulting practice. And you have a, a beautiful uh, retreat center down there in Long Beach. Yes. Um, a little south of LA and yes. uh, just a beautiful space. And, and Bonnie does such a a great job too of, of I'm sure of making people feel at home and, mm -hmm. and just uh, creating that uh, warm atmosphere. I know that your work as a poet and your poetry informs the way that you deal with some of these top business leaders. Yeah. So Paul, one of your big muses is John O'Donohue. Uh -huh. You could just uh, read something briefly from, from his work too. So my favorite quote from John O'Donohue is, I would love to live like a river flows, surprised by its own unfolding. I, I would love to live like a river flows, surprised by its own unfolding. Yes. Oof. Isn't that wow. beautiful? It is beautiful. It, yeah. gives, it gives the river a persona. It's not just an object or a thing. Mm -hmm something that feels emotion. I yeah. love that. Uh, yeah, I can read one of mine. Um, yes, please. I earned my way through college digging graves in the local cemetery where I grew up. Yeah. And of course, uh, many of the graves I dug were young men who died in the Vietnam War. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So grave digger. As the guns first round blasts out, echoed by a mother's mournful cry. I stand, waiting to cap the grave. This last summer of 69, when the constant funerals made me feel older than my years. I remember being at the bottom of a grave carving the corner's square, where sound is muted and still, and the earth smells cool and fresh. Enjoying a moment of silence below the ground, looking up 
from the darkness to the blue sky. Before the black funeral sends its dead down to this place, I prepared for many others. Waiting out of sight with the dirt on my hands in case of trouble, a line of black cars weave through the cemetery lanes while the honor guard waits. So young and sharp carrying guns, flags, and a brass horn whose sound mixed with tears will carry the departed young soul away from us to heaven. The family and friends gather, moving like ghosts in the broken way I've seen so many times. Of the prayers of as the prayers of constellation begin, I hear sorrow for whimpering as they try to comfort each other. Now, the second round echoed by a mother's mournful cry, but louder with the sound of why, of why unspoken that I will never forget. Too soon, the final round cracks out as the brass horn plays taps. General sobbing rises and falls. The soft notes signal the ending that I still carry in my dreams and waking moments as sudden sobbing captures unexpectedly breaking my heart again. Gravedigger. Thank you. There's so many broken hearts in the world. Thank you. Yeah. Paul, you have you have books of poetry. Yes. That you've written. Yes. What, uh, what are they? It waits for you. <laughs> the one you were reading from. One I was reading from. Uh, I have another one called A Glimpse, a group of short poems. A Glimpse. And I have another one called Storms and Clearings, which is a, a hardbound book. It, just an ebook called A Soul Awakening. And that has poems and photographs that I've taken. Thank you. It's been my pleasure to have you on the show today. I want to thank you so much for your time and your insight, raw emotion, and in any way that you may have been helpful to any of our audience today. So thank you so much. Can you share with us any contact information my email is paul at pauldavidwalker.com. My website is www.geniusstone.com. Okay. And all my works there, my books are there. There's a section called books, which includes my poetry books and my business mm -hmm. books. 
I have another business book called Unleashing Genius, which is, you know, what I do and how I do it. Great. And, and then a one called Invent Your Future, Starting With Your Calling. Okay. Invent. Beautiful. They're on Amazon. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Paul. Um, I'm Bill Hoverston. This has been another episode of But You're Not Funny. And if you're going to see us on YouTube, please like and subscribe, share, comment, all of the above. And we are available on all audio platforms, Google, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Audible, Stitcher, and Podbean, uh, all of the above. So we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to But You're Not Funny. Please subscribe on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Bill Hoverston. You can see my work at BillHoverston.com. It's been a pleasure.